When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So I want to start off with a question here. Comment down below with your answer. How many of you get hiccups when you eat spicy food? <laughs> there we go. And I asked that, and that was a hiccup right there, if you're wondering if that was. It wasn't a glitch on your phone. I just ate some uh, spicy food. They were like spicy beef stick type th- things, and they weren't even that spicy. Like maybe like two to three out of ten. Like I'm not even that bad, and yet here I am, and and honestly, I don't feel like putting off uh, recording this podcast any longer. So here we are. And I'm sure, you know, going on a 15-minute rant, if anything, will make these hiccups go away. Go away. Or uh, just make them much worse. I guess we'll find out. But anyways, here we are. Friday afternoon. Weekly wrap-up video of kind of what's been going on this week. Week 51 of the bull market in silver. We're over a year now in gold since its bottom in the second half of 2018. Coming up on a year here, a year from the week that silver bottomed in 2018. And, you know, much like last week, it's a bit of a standstill. It doesn't always feel like much of a bull market. And yet, here we are. Uh, I think this um, market is, you know, we're coming up on one year. I, I believe that this next bull market is going to go much, much longer than the last one, which arguably lasted from early 2000s to 2011 when it ultimately topped out. But still, you know, the bulk of that was towards the end, from about 2008 or 2009 to uh, 2011. I think this one's going to last much, much longer. And so, with that being said, let's look at silver and gold compared to other assets, particularly stocks, which is kind of what I've been following a lot more than than other assets on a week-to-week basis. You know, the nature of the fact is that without a major move in silver or gold, you're not going to see a whole lot of change in something like the silver to an acre of land ratio, uh, gold to the to the average U.S. Uh, house price ratio or something like that, because those types of statistics are just not updated on a regular basis. Uh, and so it's mostly just going to be dependent on the price of silver or gold moving in one direction or another. With something like silver and gold to precious metals, it's a bit of a different story. Uh, Sorry, silver and gold to to the stock market. It's a bit of a different story because both assets are constantly moving. And yet, this week, silver and gold pulled back a bit as a whole. Not a whole lot of movement when it was all said and done. Same thing goes for the stock market. Actually, the stock market pulled pulled back big time uh, midweek. Actually, it was down something like 1,000 points from... It's high, like 800 points in two days. And yet, after yesterday and today, it actually hasn't taken that much of a hit when it's all said and done. With that being said, I think some serious damage was done to uh, investors, consumers, businesses' confidence in the U.S. economy, as well as the stock market, but certainly the economy as we get you know more and more bad data. Today, we had the payroll data, which was a miss. Uh, technically speaking, the U.S. unemployment rate dropped uh, but wage growth was very weak and the overall addition to to 
the, the amount of jobs added was weaker than expected, 163,000 if I remember correctly. And even those, I mean, I don't put a lot of stock into that type of data. Overall, government data is pretty spotty at best. I mean, unemployment data, for example, is notoriously bad at actually capturing employment because of something called the birth death model, which is kind of an arbitrary addition or subtraction to the overall number of jobs you know, created or subtracted from the economy in a given period. And it really skews the overall data. And, and you know, it's maybe not as bad when you look at other um, indexes or, or other figures that, that kind of measure the, the economy. But yeah, make no mistake, unemployment data, uh, or even GDP data, it's it's skewed big time, um, especially as you know the ways to record it is changed over time, right? You're basically moving the goalpost, right? It's like a kicker saying, you know, I'm going to make this kick from 65 yards, and as the ball is on the way, it's pretty clear it's not going to make it, but all of a sudden those goalposts move up, you know, 20 yards closer to the kicker, or or from side to side, you know, if he's going to miss wide, that's no different than what's going on with economic data, right? This is shown very easily by by shadow stats. Actually, I, I I would encourage you all to check out shadowstats.com, run by the guy by the name of John Williams. No relation to the the Fed, John Williams, um, but but he has very neat graphs. You don't even have to become a special like su- subscriber or, or pay a fee or anything. Although he has some additional stuff if you do that, but he has very succinct, basic graphs that show that hey, the inflation. Uh, since about 1990 has been understated because of changes to the the formula to, to calculate things like PCE and CPI. Same thing, so th- same thing goes for GDP, just in the opposite direction. It's been overstated, right? His data would bear out that if you use past methodologies, the ones that were used back in the 90s or the 80s, you'd find that inflation is far higher than what it actually stated to be. And Partly because of that, GDP is much, much lower, right? Because GDP takes into account things like inflation. If inflation is 10% and and the nominal GDP growth is 10%, well, guess what? The actual real GDP growth is zero because the overall GDP is just getting inflated. So what that means is if you have inflation that's chronically understated by 5%, it means GDP is chronically overstated by 5%. It's not that difficult, Right. To, to, to see these these holes in economic data, right? So, again, that's my roundabout way of saying let's not put too much stock into these numbers. With that being said, they are showing a weakening economy, right? Even by the government standards. Now, as I've maintained for a while, I think we're coming up on a recession. That doesn't change one bit by you know, from week to week, you know, in my opinion. Now, eventually, you know, six months out, if we're not in a recession, then yeah, I'll have to admit that I'm wrong or that the data is just absolutely terrible. Maybe I'll be stubborn and refuse to admit I'm wrong. But from week to week, you know, it's, I don't change a whole lot of my perspective on that. We're heading for a recession. I think that's borne out in a lot of the data. It's certainly borne out in, in some of the, uh, uh, different surveys that are done across the board. If you look at things like U.S. manufacturing or U.S. transportation, they're absolutely already in a recession. It's only a matter of time before larger sectors of the economy, such as the services sector, 
are also in a recession. And let's not forget that much of the world is already in a recession. A lot of Europe, Japan's moving closer in that direction. China, which their economic data is, is no better than the United States, and perhaps even worse. Uh, they're not in a recession technically if you look at their data. In fact, their, their GDP is still at a lofty 6%, 6.5% or somewhere in that ballpark. It's still falling. And more and more people are catching on to, to the fact that it's totally bogus in the first place, right? If you look at Chinese GDP over the last like 10 years, it's way too smooth looking, clearly manipulated. It's just a matter of time, hopefully, before those same people wake up and realize that the same is true for U.S. GDP. And I think a lot of economic data here in the United States and elsewhere around the world. But again, the world's moving towards a recession as well. And so where are metals at? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Again, I mean, they haven't really moved a whole lot. The The Dow to uh, gold or S&P to gold ratio remains around two to one, you know, two ounces of gold to buy the S&P 500. Uh, in terms of silver, last time I checked, I want to say it's about 168 ounces of silver to, to buy the S&P. And of course, just to reference long-term goals here, we're looking at maybe below one to one for gold to S&P. I'm talking uh, an ounce of gold buying greater than the actual S&P 500 uh, index. And for silver, uh, you know, we're looking at something similar to maybe 20, 30 to one, maybe even 40 to one. You know, 40 ounces of silver to buy the S&P. Uh, and it could be higher than that, but much lo- much lower than what we're looking at right now, 168 in that ballpark, 160 to 171 ounces. So it's sort of still a waiting game. You know, I hope that those of you that, that are looking to purchase uh, on an ongoing basis took advantage of this dip earlier in this week with silver down pretty significantly. And yet today, uh, silver and gold were hit again, partly because of that payroll data maybe being stronger than people expected. Of course, the dollar spiked on it largely because of, of what that potentially means for uh, Fed uh, Fed decisions in the future in terms of rate cuts and quantitative easing and whatnot, it probably won't factor in a whole lot because it's just not that big of a signal in either direction. But the dollar did move up and, and the gold and silver markets went down a bit and then retraced a fair bit of that. But still, gold finding support around 1,500, right below 1,500 like it has so many times. I mean, it did break it earlier this week. But again, it's still looking very strong. Now, silver is not finding support quite as easily. But again, it it still rebounded off those lows heading into the end of the week. And I'll remind you that this is the golden week over in China, i.e. the week where they're basically out of the markets. Their markets are closed for for a week-long celebration. Uh, It's also actually the, uh, let me remember now, 70th, 70th, is that right? Anniversary of uh, the founding of, of China or communist China at all. Right, is that right? 70 years? So we're, t- yeah, 1946, 1949. So that's, um, 
that's something, I guess. I mean, that's not really a positive in my opinion, but, but again, you know, that could be played into that as well. Uh, just that, that overall lack of participation in the markets, but you know, come Sunday evening and, and of course Monday, China's going to be open again and their influence on the market markets are, are going to be back. And of course, China is a net buyer of gold as a whole. You see this pretty clear trend that when China's closed for uh, a week or, you know, their, their new year celebrations or their, uh, uh, their, their golden week celebrations, that gold and silver tend to trend down and that the opposite is true once they come back. And so that's kind of what we're looking forward to next week. Of course, you know, don't take this as investment advice. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying buy this weekend before Sunday, but you know, that's that's kind of what we're looking at. I'd also expect, you know, with them coming back from this, for things like the the overall trade tensions to ratchet up again. And don't get me wrong, it could go in the opposite direction, right? We could see more just ridiculous rumors about how a trade deal is right around the corner, right? Something that that. Peter Navarro says, or or Larry Kudlow, or Trump himself, or even you know some unnamed Chinese official, but put a don't put a whole lot of stock into that, right? Take that with a, a hefty uh, dose, a large spoonful of salt, not just a couple of grains, uh, because we've heard that how many times over the last eighteen plus months about this trade deal, and yet nothing's worked out. And again, you know, as I said in the past, if something is miraculously worked out, and I think it would be because it would be um, flying in the face of of, uh, of a lot of events that would suggest otherwise, including North Korea launching more missiles, more escalation in Hong Kong, etc. Well, that still doesn't mean a global recession isn't right around the corner, right? This this trade war, this trade slowdown. Uh, pullback and globalization that could be part of the catalyst for this next recession but it's not going to be the cause right these are systemic fundamental flaws in the global economy that, that are going to ultimately be the the culprits for this next recession and, and what i think will be a secular slowdown uh this is just a catalyst we're talking about here with this trade war business but since we're on the topic yeah you have north korea launching missiles again Right? And, and this has sort of flown under the radar, but they did a recent uh, test of, of nuclear missiles. Or, sorry, not nuclear. They've been doing that for a while. Missiles capable of carrying nukes. Submarine-based missiles, right? Which, you know, arguably, the most powerful weapon in the world is not just ICBMs or nuclear weapons, but it's nuclear weapons uh, carried by submarines, right? Well, what's SBLM, right? submarine-based nuclear missiles or, or intercontinental SBIM, whatever. Uh, submarine-based missile systems are, are far more of a threat than ones that are carried by, you know, a B-52 or a B-2 bomber or, you know, the Russian or Chinese equivalent uh, or, or land-based missiles. What do we have? We have the Trident missile, I think. That's what the U.S. still uses and maybe something else as well. And, of course, Chinese and Russian hypersonic. Yeah, those are those are important. Those are hypersonic, especially are <laughs> very um, deadly weapons. But submarine, submarine based are, you know, offer the greatest potential for second strike. And so that's what that's what North Korea is working on. I, I doubt they have full capability yet, but, you know, maybe something's in place that, you know, if nothing else, they could at least try it out if if uh, push came to shove and, and 
know, war actually occurred and, and North Korea itself was about to fall, maybe they could get a missile off from one of those subs. Probably not to the United States, I would expect, unless they somehow snuck a sub up on our shoreline. Probably we're talking South Korea or, or Japan, but still. In addition to that, you had China, you know, rolling out their new hypersonic missile or their new uh, nuclear-tipped missile, basically, in, in one of their big mil- military parades. And, of course, the U.S. responded by testing some of our missiles. Again, none of this is actually with nuclear weapons on board. But still, that doesn't bode well for this trade war business, right? Trump can't somehow just put himself above that. This is major geopolitical stuff, right? Uh, you know, on top of that, you know, this East versus West uh, type of, of conflict or whatever, this new Cold War... You know, you also have things like China and the United States basically pulling out of these what are the intermediate intermediate ranged missile uh, treaties. Uh, that's that's scary. I mean, that's Cold War stuff, right? Those treaties were put into place. Now, would they fully stop uh, a nuclear war once it started? No, and it, would it really reduce the casualties? Probably not a whole lot, but it was something put into place to reduce tensions, right? And yet that's kind of going out of the window, right? So, I mean, again, take it with a grain of salt or a whole spoonful, if you will, when I think inevitably the next headline comes out about a trade deal being right around the corner. I doubt it, right? I think we're we're moving towards more and more deterioration of these talks. But anyways, I appreciate every single one of you tuning into this podcast, this video today. Uh, as always, if you have questions, if you have comments, let me know down below in the comment section. If you want to help me out, liking this video, commenting, or subscribing over in the podcast world or on YouTube, leaving me a review. All those things help me out a ton. You can support me through Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. I have many faithful patrons over there. And I'm actually starting a, a at least weekly uh, podcast exclusive to Patreon. So if you want more Silver Fortune, you can check that out. And there's also some other perks as well. If you're going to be buying silver, uh, buy from SD Bullion. No, I mean, make that decision on your own. But there's a link below in the description to SD Bullion. It's a referral link, uh, and it helps me out a ton when you buy through that link, especially with their one-ounce silver round at spot price. But uh, beyond all that, as I always say, you know, the number one thing you can do to help me out is something you've already done, and that is watch this video, listen to this podcast. So truly, thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing just that, and God bless.